that was how to make the elixir of life and holy grail. Next up. I'm a mortal. Your source for all things immortal. Hello, my name is Dennis Kowalski. I'm the president of the Cryonics Institute. And uh, thanks for having me on your podcast, guys. Yeah, we love having you here. For all of you guys listening, welcome to I'm Immortal. Today we have Dennis Kowalski as he introduced himself. And uh, Dennis, let's start off with a simple question. Since our podcast is about immortality, life extension, and just aging in general, what does the word immortal or immortality mean to you? Well, uh, I mean, words are important, but uh, you know, with the strictest definition, immortal means you live forever. That's not really what we're trying to do in cryonics and a lot of the life extension movement. What we're trying to do is extend life radically. So, uh, I mean, something statistically will get you sooner or later. Uh, so I, I don't think any of us is really talking about true immortality. We're just talking about the same thing that regular medicine and, and diet and health and exercise and everything proposes to do, you know, extend our lives, um, not just uh, our our biological life, but our healthy life, so that we can spend time with our loved ones and our family, and and uh, enjoy enjoy. Yeah, we can all enjoy uh, more parks outside and nice weather, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so I guess because um, we've never met someone in cryonics, it's not too often you do. So I guess to uh, start off with, uh, how did you first get involved in cryonics um, at all? <clears throat> when I was a younger kid, I uh, I read up a lot of uh science and science fiction as well and uh, i i noticed it was a recurring theme and uh in, even in history you know you go back to the egyptians and the pyramids and you know that people have always been seeking longevity um and you've always heard you know through different uh science fiction films about space travel where they suspend uh a person's life uh status temporarily to get uh, from a long distance from one area to another. And um, it was in the 1960s that uh, Professor Robert Edinger from Michigan, uh, actually, uh, he was a physics professor and he decided to look into it and, and uh, apply science to the theory that could we do this? You know, I mean, he, he applied science to um, the idea and he wanted to see uh, is this possible? So he wrote a book called The Prospect of Immortality. And in the book, it became a number one worldwide bestseller. And um, it was, you know, he was on all the talk circuits. And um, I remember seeing him as a young kid. And I thought, boy, this is really interesting. It's fascinating. But, you know, how are they going to ever bring anyone back? You know, are they just purely relying on the future? So I, I thought it's a good idea but I kind of stowed it away in the background of my mind. And later on, when I was a little older, 18, 19 years old, I read a book um, called uh, Engines of Creation by Eric Drexler. And uh, in uh, chapter nine of that book, it basically, uh, it's about molecular nanotechnology. And uh, it's basically the reverse engineering of life at the molecular level, the mechanical uh, reverse engineering of what happens with biology and uh, the book really laid out a, a fantastic blueprint and concept of how we probably would be able to revive patients 
it's not at all easy and it'll probably take another hundred years or, or more for us to figure it out, but it is in no way impossible. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, the book kind of shows a lot of biological and natural processes that, you know, uh, in one shape or form or another uh, reverse biological aging. I mean, when you think about it, when, when uh, uh, two people uh, meet and have a child, um, some of their cells in their body are reverting back into germline cells um, and, and resetting the clock biologically. And there's all sorts of examples of this in nature. So it's just a matter of figuring out what mother nature does and reverse engineering it. Great. Yeah. I love those examples. Yeah. There's a lot of examples of uh, even a lot of species like the water bear who, you know, preserve themselves for a long time right. in stasis. So, um, so for the audience out there, could you describe what exactly is cryonics and how does cryonics work? So uh, the cryonics is a process in which people after they're pronounced legally dead and I, I, I emphasize legally dead. That doesn't mean you're technically dead in the in the strictest sense. Um, but once people are legally dead, they're uh, in cardiac arrest, and all traditional conventional medical science is given up currently because our current technology can't bring you back. Well, that at that point, in an ideal situation, we get to that person, patient, we call them as soon as possible. We'd put their body into a ice water bath. We'd continue CPR to circulate the blood and uh, nutrients to the brain, uh, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. to take and uh, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, take the core, the warm core blood and exchange it with the colder peripheral blood that's touching the ice bath so that we can cool the person as quickly as possible. The ideal is, is when you cool a person down, the chemical reactions that are going on, including the degradation of a body, is slowed down. It, um, and we know this intuitively. You know, if you have food outside on a warm day, it's going to last much longer in a, a refrigerator and then much, that much longer in a freezer or dry ice. So it's actually a, a function of the Remus equation. Uh, which is a exponential that the reaction time of the molecules is slowed down uh, exponentially the colder you get. So you, you're buying yourself time. So we know that, you know, in emergency medicine, when you go into cardiac arrest, you need someone to do CPR as soon as possible. Um, and the longer you wait, the, the worse your chances are going to be of bringing a person back. Um, and this is with conventional medicine. With cryonics, we eventually get the person into liquid dry ice, or I mean, not, not dry ice, uh, liquid nitrogen, and seconds of time actually become thousands of years. So the thought is, is that modern medicine, we're not at the zenith of our knowledge today, certainly, uh, but modern medicine in the future We'll be able to do things we can't, we couldn't have even dreamed of doing in the present. And and if you look around, I mean, there's a lot of things we can do today that we couldn't do 40, 50 years ago. Heart transplants, even the you know routine uh, cardiac defibrillation and CPR um, wasn't available 50, 60 years ago. So 
um, we're already in a way raising the dead by using CPR and defibrillation. But anyways, um, I kind of got a little sidetracked there. Um, in an ideal situation, we'd put a person in an ice bath, we'd ship them to the Cranics Institute in Michigan, uh, Clinton Township, Michigan. Uh, there at our facility, we do a blood washout. Yeah. Um, we would, uh, the blood, blood likes to move. So uh, it, if it stays still, it'll clot. So we uh, use uh, anticoagulants um, and some other uh, medications. We circulate them with CPR. And then we um, uh, hook the patient up to the equivalent of a heart-lung bypass. And we wash out the blood and we wash in the cryoprotectant solution uh, that was developed by a cryobiologist. Um, and it's very similar to some of the solutions that go into uh, when uh, uh, hearts and livers, when people do get a heart transplant or a liver transplant. But it goes a bit further, a bit beyond that. Uh, so the tissues are vitrified. So you might think uh, if you put uh, a body or human tissues in a freezer that there might be ice crystallization and uh, with um, the, the vitrification process we minimize that ice crystallization we can't get rid of all of it currently but we minimize it and we get rid of most of it so that future technology has less to repair we put them into liquid nitrogen tanks um, they're very much like a giant thermos bottle um, there is no electrical, so, you know, people often joke about, you know, someone unplugging the tank, but, uh, no, it's, it's just like a thermos bottle that's filled up with liquid nitrogen, uh, boil off rates, mm -hmm. uh, take currently four or five months for all of that liquid nitrogen to, to boil off, but we don't wait that long. We, uh, top them off every week. We check them every day. We've been doing that for 40 plus years without incident. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's pretty much how the process works. It's a wait and see what the future will bring. And if, if people will figure out how to reverse engineer uh, biology so that we can revive and wake people up and revive and wake people up at a young, youthful age. Okay, wow. That's, that was a, that's like a, a knowledge bomb on us, uh, Dennis. Um, I guess because... One thing we were interested in was, I guess I mentioned a bit earlier, was we don't know a lot of people um, who are involved in cryonics, but what are the type of people that are interested in cryonics? Like, what kind of people are the ones that are signing up for this uh, sort of procedure? Well, definitely people who read a lot about science and are optimistic about the future. Uh, we tend to have uh, a lot of people who uh, enjoy science fiction because science fiction kind of touches on it kind of links the possible and the impossible, kind of that reaching out and theory about what might be. And that's the only way we find out what is possible by kind of reaching into that realm. Um, so you're going to find people who definitely are positive and optimistic. Uh, they tend to be, uh, I'm just looking at our demographics of our membership, um, uh, college educated, um, slightly wealthier, uh, but, you know, that's not to say that we don't have people who um, are less educated or um, uh, have less money. It's kind of kind of spans across the, the board. I mean, we even have 
we have people that are atheist, agnostic, and uh, fundamentalist in all major religions. And, and and if that makes sense, really, when you think about it, because you could get a heart transplant or not get a heart transplant based on your religious or ideological beliefs. Right. You know, so it, it kind of follows along those lines. And, and in fact, you know, a lot of our detractors and criticism has come from people. Uh, it, it sounds almost like the same things they said when they were picking on uh, people for heart transplants. You know, they were saying that's that's weird. That's Frankenstein or, <laughs> you know, you're, you know, uh, going against God or nature or something. Like that. Oh, but, you know, in the yeah. today. We take it for granted that those are great medical technologies and, and bottom line, grandma or grandpa is still here, you know, or mom or dad or brother yeah. or sister, you know, and uh, you know, that's all we're trying to do. I mean, it may not work, um, we honestly say for sure until we're in the future. So, you know, I guess you could, um, you know, the, I guess the, the big thing is, is, will everyone be able to um, be brought back? And that depends on how quickly we get to the, the person after cardiac arrest, which is just the same as, as conventional uh, emergency mm-hmm. medicine. So ideally then, like I'm, I'm trying to think if someone has, let's say, as you said, technically, or no, legally dead, as you said earlier, like what's the ideal amount of time to get to them to start all these, to start CPR and to start putting them in an ice bath and all that? immediately after the heart, heart stops beating immediately mm-hmm. um and uh, in a couple situations in a couple circumstances we've been able to do that but people don't really have the ability to plan their death and so not every single chronics um case has gone you know that well it, it, it spans all across it's just like emergency medicine there's times we get on scene i Formerly, I, I uh, worked in uh, emergency medicine as a paramedic in a major city. So there's times, you know, we could bring people back because we got there quickly. And there's other times, you know, it, it was, we were just, it was a futile effort. We, I mean, we tried the best we could, but we couldn't bring them back because too much time had elapsed. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I did learn, though, is, you know, just never know. There's people that you think, oh, it's been too long. And then, they're back and then there's other people you think um you know um we do we we got there quickly everything went absolutely right and they it just was their time you know we can't bring them back so Mm -hmm. you just never know but you know you just you give it the college try you try your best and you fight the good fight and that's what we're trying to do fight the good fight you know we care about life and we care about people yeah for sure so you mentioned earlier that you know it tends to be the wealthier side uh, for a demographic, people choosing to be cryopreserved. So, uh, talking about cost specifically, like where where where's the money going towards? Like cost for chambers, maintenance, like and even transport of the body towards your facilities. Like yeah, yeah. So that's a fantastic question. Uh, a lot of people assume that you know we're you know providing some kind of false hope and just uh, cashing in on the on the money. You know, yeah. But the thing is. Um, we are a nonprofit, uh, and not only are we a nonprofit, all of our um, books are open for public scrutiny. So you can see where every penny is spent. A lot of nonprofits don't do that. Yeah. A lot of our workers are uh, volunteers or work at much uh, lower than uh, normal standard wage. 
so the money in Cranix goes to uh, the kind of the equivalent of an endowment fund. Um, it gets invested in index funds. And after that, the interest is what pays for the perpetual upkeep. So like we charge 28,000. Uh, 28,000 was what we charged in 1974. And that's what we charge today. Um, but um, most of the money, you know, a small amount goes to the procedure. Most of the money actually goes in that endowment. And the interest is what pays for the taxes, the utilities, um, the salaries, and um, the liquid nitrogen and so forth. That's what pays for, for as long as the economy doesn't collapse, the world economy, the way we were invested, invested everything, as long as the world economy doesn't collapse completely for good, then um, we should be around and have the money to pay for the constant perpetual upkeep. Uh, and most people use life insurance. So if you think about it, uh, 28,000, really not that much. Yeah. And even for uh, people of, of uh, you know, poor means, people don't have a lot of money. It, it is affordable. Certainly for people who are, you know, uber wealthy, I mean, it, it's nothing for them. Yeah. Maybe. So it's really, it, it's really one of those, to me, a Pascal's wager. I mean, you, you got everything to lose. And, and, I mean, uh, everything to gain and nothing to lose. Yeah, no, fair enough. Okay. Um, I, I know, okay. I, maybe not everyone knows about this, but earlier you mentioned the terms like technically dead and legally dead. And could, I guess, what, what, what do you mean specifically by like terms like technically dead? Like, I guess, cause well, it, it, we, oh, sorry, Dennis, go ahead. Well, uh, in cryonics, uh, we often use a term called information theoretic death. And um, so what that means is when you can't get any information out of the uh, substance. So, so what do we all have in every cell? We've got DNA. So DNA is enough to, in theory, today, even with today's crude technology, clone you, right? And replace and repair every single part of your body. Mm. But is that really you or just like a, a, a clone right. or a twin? <laughs> that's not you just looks like you um the other part of the information is your mind so there it gets kind of tricky because well what is the mind well it's the information that's encoded on that tangled web of nerves and synapses that we haven't quite figured out yet your your connectome is what a lot of people refer to it as mm -hmm. your connectome which they're learning more and more about as you know we try to uh, reverse engineer the human brain. Um, but we feel confident that in there, in that um, biological computer is your mind and that information is there. We do believe that that information is redundant and, you know, a lot of your memories are, you know, they're backed up in multiple ways and it's pretty hardy but we do believe it's not impossible to lose that information eventually. So to use an analogy, if you take a computer and you throw it off the Empire State Building and it shatters in a million pieces, it's not a very functional computer, is it? But yeah. hard drive, you know, that may be broken in pieces, uh, in theory, you could get that information off that hard drive. Or if you took the Mona Lisa and ran it through a shredder, you could in theory, piece it back together at the molecular level. 
Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't wouldn't know that the Mona Lisa had gone through a shredder. But if you take that same computer and you uh, melt it down or, you know, uh, um, run it through, a, a, you know, a acid bath or something like that and dissolve it, I think that there is no way you can get that information off that hard drive. And so we believe that when a person's buried eventually and when they are cremated or whatever, they decompose, the information is lost forever. We believe that eventually, if a body is in warm temperatures long enough, more and more information is lost until there's no information there. But there's plenty of DNA. Uh, so, I mean, it's likely you'd still be able to bring a person back with a drop of blood. But mm-hmm. is that the same person? And that's not what we're not shooting for a cloning mechanism. We're shooting for uh, restoration of your actual mind and, and who you are as much of it as possible mm-hmm. so the so on, you know i'm like a stroke victim like you think of a, a someone like a stroke victim who might lose a little bit they're not going to gain back certain things uh but mm-hmm. uh with uh a technology powerful enough to bring you back uh we should be able to regenerate tissues and you should be able to maybe not gain all the information back but you should be in theory be able to gain every bit of function back Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, certainly a better prognosis than your typical stroke victim. Absolutely. Uh, so just to confirm, it's, I guess, when someone is cryopreserved, the sooner you get back to them, the more, I guess, in, like information is preserved. And that's sort of the, the I guess, but that's what the, the goal that's would be. That's the gold right? standard. Right. That's okay. absolutely the gold standard. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Just to confirm. All right. So Sufa, why don't you, what were you going to ask? I was going to talk about like, uh, what, what are, we just talked about DNA and blood and, uh, that could easily go into genetics. So are there certain conditions or issues that somebody might encounter that could prevent them from undergoing cryopreservation or no longer being a candidate? Oh, well, you know, if you were lost at sea, uh, or if you were maybe in a, ter- a terrible fire or, I mean, there's a lot of things that could destroy your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, what if you had like a very advanced brain cancer um, or brain disease where your body did not biologically die, but by the time it did, um, your brain was pretty much not there. Mm-hmm. And then what are you saving? Just uh, DNA then. So I, I can think of a whole host of things that go wrong, but that's just like emergency medicine again. You know, I can think of a million things that will go wrong. You get caught in traffic on the way to uh, emergency run and that that person's down that much longer, you know, uh, from whatever um, put them in cardiac arrest. So, mm-hmm. so just touching on that topic still, does cryopreservation typically surround the idea of preserving the brain or do you, do most people tend to focus around the brain and the body? Well, our organization, I mean, I, um, there, there's other organizations that'll do, um, head only or brain only preservation uh, under the assumption that you can grow the body oh. uh, back. And, uh, but our organization only does whole body. Um, and I mean, we kind of operate under the premise of do no harm. So we don't see any reason to remove someone's body. Uh, you mm. know, the, the kind of the Hippocratic oath of do no harm. Uh, the only gain would be maybe a little bit of storage. Or, <laughs> or, right. you know, money or something. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, we don't operate like that uh, ourselves. But certainly the most important thing is your brain. I mean, 
even in a conventional sense, you know, if you lost your arm, you know, that's not a good thing, but it's not the same as losing your brain. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you rather, you know, when it came right down to it, what would be worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody were to go under, like undergo severe uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, something that affects their memory and brain, uh, mm-hmm. would they still want to be cryopreserved? Or is the hope that after the cryopreserved someday in the future, that type of damage would be able to be reversed? Well, that is entirely up to, I mean, we don't know. That's again, you know, a lot of this hits onto what we don't, don't know. And mm-hmm. uh, so we leave uh, that up to the person who contracts with us. We leave um, uh, clauses in there where they can say, well, if this happens or that happens, go forward and try at all costs um, to preserve me. Or if this happens or that happens, um, I don't want to be preserved. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, take the money that I had earmarked through my life insurance and send it back to my family or uh, donate it to another scientific cause or donate it to us, you know, because you still believe in the process, but don't bother um, saving my tissues for clone. You know, so we follow the contract and the wishes of the, of the person who contracts with us. Mm-hmm. So for people, I guess this is thinking very futuristically, but you said right as of, I guess right now, there's no method to bring someone back, but you know, maybe a few hundred years later, there could be some way. Are there, are there any hypothetical ways that that could happen? Well, I mean, there's, um, the engines of creation talked about, uh, molecular nanotechnology, which, uh, it's kind of a, you know, a, a micro miniature, uh, robotics, um, uh, that, that were, that would be uh, reverse engineered and designed based off your biological system, right? The repair systems that exist at the molecular level within your body. So copying nature, because nature had billions of years to perfect what it does through evolution, copying nature, uh, we'd reverse engineer and maybe have some kind of robots, uh, microscopic robots injected into your system and they cross check your DNA and say, Oh yeah, things are supposed to look like this, but they don't look like this. So let's rearrange these molecules in this way or that way until things look the way they're supposed to. And I know that sounds pretty science fiction like, but it's really how biology repairs our tissues now. I mean, look at stem cells. Stem cells are, you know, your body's taking, I mean, we can take today um, some old, uh, you know, differentiated cells out of your skin cells out of your arm and and then reverse time and undifferentiate them back to the stem cell state and use them maybe to repair dead heart tissue mm-hmm. or some other aged tissue in your body, either repair or, and or replace it. And so you get into some kind of uh, hairy philosophical questions of, you know, how much can I replace and is it still me? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Identity, right? Identity. But, you know, um, then you can say, you know, is is it really the components that make up me or the information that make up me? So, you know, um, I mean, we're constantly eating food and right, shedding skin and you know, bringing in molecules, molecules in, molecules out. Um, what really are you? But the information that's encoded on that on that substrate that is your body. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think we're more of the information. 
I mean, or really kind of a combination of both. We're both. But um, I mean, we can lose we can lose a lot of biological matter and replace it as long as we hang on to the identity. So uh, we actually jumped over this topic. So I'm sure euthanasia is a big topic with cryonics because, you know, uh, the whole facets of legally being dead, medically being dead, along the lines of that. So since it's already a hotly debated topic, what are the benefits of cryothanasia and has it been done before? Well, uh, you know, it's still not fully accepted in most of the world, mm-hmm. uh, euthanasia, that is. Yeah. And, but one thing that does seem to be accepted in most of the world is the ability to refuse medical treatment um, when you're in a terminal condition. Yeah. So, you know, we're not talking about someone who was depressed and doesn't want to live, but we're talking about someone who may have end stage cancer and uh, they don't want to go through the, the very end where it's very painful and they feel maybe they're a burden on themselves and society and their families and, 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 and they're just living in pain. So you could, you know, forego, uh, maybe if you're on a ventilator, you could be removed from the ventilator uh, or forego some sort of a medical treatment, even uh, cancer um, chemotherapy, for instance, and then uh, speed things up. Um, We have had people who have exercised their legal right to not... uh, pursue medical treatment Mm -hmm. and sped things up and made for better cryopreservation and that's their choice and that's fully legal and uh but when it comes to uh actually assisting someone or um you know allowing them to commit suicide that's something that uh i mean we'd have to look at that by a case-by-case situation Mm -hmm. uh you know was it done in an area where it's legal and ethical and moral you know we certainly don't want to ever be involved in anything that encourages people to, you know, <laughs> commit suicide because <laughs> right, they're depressed right. or, or not in a terminal condition or certainly so anything that's illegal in any way. We don't want to be involved with that. So, mm-hmm. and we would turn someone down if they um, did something illegal or unethical or immoral mm-hmm. in our minds you know, because we have to preserve the whole organization and movement and all the patients that we have already okay wow <laughs> thanks for sharing all that dennis and i mean i guess being involved chronics like to the extent you are like you're providing this service for people i guess it's kind of a personal question but you know towards the end of you know your life would you also want to go undergo cryopreservation preservation yourself absolutely uh, i'm signed up my family signed up and it as a condition of being uh on the board of directors in Cranix, the leadership, uh, who, by the way, the whole leadership is democratically elected uh, by our members. So it's member elected by members uh, who ran for the board and then were elected. And then they pick the officers. Uh, we all have contracts signed up for Cranix. So we all have a vested interest. We, we did that by design. We didn't want someone who didn't have a vested interest in Cranix running cranics hmm. um and uh so yeah I, I i believe in it um do i believe absolutely positively this is going to work and no i mean i think we're very pragmatic very uh, rational people hmm. and do we absolutely believe that when you call 911 
they're going to save you. Well, you have to be no, an optimist, but, right? But, but if you don't call 911, <laughs> your chances are yeah. good. Right, right. So, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I wish more people would sign up because, I mean, people join up for all kinds of, you know, to me, irrational stuff, you know, cults and cargo cult uh, uh, type of stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is like pretty rational. I mean, pretty Pascal wager type stuff. Um, but it, it's just maybe because we don't oversell it and we're, we're brutally honest that, hey, this might not work, mm-hmm. you know, but this is the only chance in town, you know. And as far as I'm concerned, um, even if it doesn't work, it's still a good thing because it's proving what can or can't be done in science. That's the only way we find out what can or can't be done. That's the only way uh, we advance yeah. as a species. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of cryopreservation preservation and requirements for it, say, is there a location requirement? Say I live in Europe. Am I able to still be a part, like part of the Cryonics Institute as a member? Well, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, lots of our members are all over the world. Um, you know, the farther away you are from civilization, I guess, the harder it becomes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, there is kind of, we call them like, kind of like outposts or standby communities uh, all over the world. So like, for instance, there's an organization called Cryonics UK in England where they don't have a long-term cryogenic facility or cryonic facility, but they have people that will prepare you and they've got the, the whole structure set up to prep people and get them ready for shipping through a international funeral director to get to our organization and others. So these people have kind of uh, taken the initiative and, uh, you know, and a lot of people contract through funeral, uh, funeral services, their doctors, uh, other organizations that'll do the standby. And uh, it's really interesting Mm -hmm. uh, what people have done to, uh, get to us. So we're, we kind of like to think of ourselves as the ambulance ride to the future. Ah, okay. <laughs> I like that. That, that, may or, that may or may not exist. <laughs> it, it is to some degree, uh, you know, uh, where people have to get an ambulance ride to the ambulance ride. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. And they've got to, they've got to prepare and, and because they're, you know, but that's just like anything else. I mean, you can, you can learn CPR and, you know, if your loved one goes down, they're going to have a lot better chance than if you just call 911 and watch them gasp for air. Mm-hmm. Then if you do CPR while 911 is coming, maybe ambulance is caught in traffic or what have you. So, you know, you can do a lot to prepare always when it comes to, you know, uh, your health and, and your longevity. Mm. Okay, Dennis, I know we're keeping you from your family brunch and I don't want to keep you any further, but we have just one more question. Um, which is, I guess, from everything you've said today, is there one thing you really want people to take away? Well, um, I'd like to say that if, you know, if you're interested in any way um, in Chronics, there's a ton of information out there. We've got a wonderful website with um, a magazine uh, that is uh, digital, open to anyone. Um, it's chronics.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, we welcome anyone to do research. And if it's for you, um, you know, welcome aboard. Um, and even if it's not, it, you, know, you might be very interested in finding out um, what Chronix is and isn't. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there. So I do encourage people to look into it. Absolutely. Great. So 
I think we're at the end of our uh, interview here. So once again, we wanted to thank you, Dennis, for coming on. We enjoyed having you as a guest, and we've definitely learned a lot, and hopefully our audience will as well. Uh, other than that, I... Okay, now when are you guys, when are you guys signing up? Uh, <laughs> let me check my how much I'm making this summer, all right? <laughs> hey, it's just life insurance, which is really cheap when you're young. Oh, you know, that's, that's when they... That's goes true. up and then they won't even insure you. Okay, well, that's Dennis, true. if I sign up, you'll, you'll be lock, the first to know. Your... Yeah, you'll be the first to know. You get a wordy email about our signing up. It's not like I get a, I, I don't get a commission. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. All right. All right. Thank you All so right. much, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. All, All right. right. Take care, gentlemen. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.